Hello, this is Sam here. So this is not a 12 rules for what episode as such. It's a part of a new thing that I'm making called Collapsology, which is about the end of societies, how they fall apart, how they come to a close, with a focus particularly on how this society might kind of come to an end um, as we face what is probably likely to be quite a bad uh, century of climate change and related problems. So in this episode, what I'm doing is basically kind of setting out the overall stall for what I expect the project to be. It will eventually live in its own podcast feed. Um, for the time being, it will be in the 12 Rules for What feed, where I think is where you're listening to it now. So, But if you want to carry on listening to it, then you've got to go and subscribe to the Collapsology feed, which there'll be a link to in the show notes. I'm also starting a substack where I'm going to put some more regular writing on... Uh, the topic of collapsology and you'll be able to subscribe to that I think in the same place so that will all be below if you're interested in the project then do reach out uh, let me know what you'd like to see it do uh, and in what way you're interested in the end of the world because of course part of the stakes of this project is that there are many 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 different ways of understanding the end of the world many of them as we explored in our book the rise of ecofascism deeply reactionary and so I'm kind of interested in like thinking about how we can best understand the stakes of the end of the world collectively from the left. So that's the idea of the project. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Sam. Welcome to Collapse Podcast. So it's often taken as something of an article of faith that large-scale social collapse is impossible. Or if you're one of a bunch of other people, it's taken as inevitable. So one of the purposes of this podcast is to attempt to get to the bottom of these two intuitions. Think about what they are saying, think about what they're missing out, and then think about how you might proceed with the knowledge that comes out of that clarification. It matters a great deal, and it should matter a great deal to everyone listening to this, whether or not our society, at a very large scale, is going to collapse in the near future. So, at the very recent COP26 conference on climate change, Boris Johnson, who is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, did something really quite unusual. He referred to the demise of the Roman Empire, not with one of his kind of classical illusions that he likes to do in order to make him seem uh, like a genius, but the collapse of the Roman Empire specifically as something that genuinely is a possibility that might befall us, you and me and him and everyone else. I think that should worry us quite a great deal. Not just because the UK government is quite well known for doing very long-term planning in the civil service, although the government itself doesn't really normally act on it, but also because Boris Johnson has an unmistakable class interest. He's from the ruling class in a bunch of very obvious ways. He's an old Etonian. He basically acts as prime minister in the interests of capital, or at least one part of capital. And historical collapses have had very uneven social effects, to say the least. The fact that someone who is so nakedly a part of and a function of the ruling class would be genuinely worried about large-scale social collapse in 2021 means that 
it's probably going to affect everyone. So let's say, as I think is reasonable, that there is some real chance of collapse within our lifetimes. Let's say perhaps the next 50 years. The chances may be something like, let's you know ballpark it here, um, 5%, which is neither 0% nor is it 100%. And therefore the claim is actually much more uncertain than either the kind of doomers that I was mentioning at the beginning or the people who think it's impossible think. And because it's actually much more difficult to work out, I think when we sit with the claim, we realise that it's a much more complex and intricate idea than maybe it seems. It's neither going to be clear sailing through the 21st century, nor is it going to be a sudden apocalyptic irreversible collapse that affects everything simultaneously. And it turns into something very complex to think about what is a collapse, why might it happen, when might it happen, to what might it happen, for who might it happen. It turns out to be so complex in some ways that it allows us to see the world, I think, in quite a new light. So it's not just a matter of working out whether or not it's true, you know, whether or not there'll be a collapse, although of course that's an extremely important question. It's also a matter of reassessing in light of that possibility what is meaningful, what's important to us, what the purpose of our lives are. And given that context, it's very obvious that kind of chirpy liberalism um, won't cut it. But neither will the kind of relentless pessimism or emphatic declarations of how bad things are getting. Neither is adequate to the complexity, to the subtlety of what's going on. And I think both have quite mendacious rhetorical traditions behind them. On the one hand, liberalism has turned into this kind of, you know, you're wrong, haha, I've proved you wrong, I've appealed to, you know, some sort of scientific authority and so on. Form of debate structure or form of style of debating, and I think that's destructive. And on the other hand, declaring the end of the world is coming has been for, you know, perhaps since the beginning of uh, agricultural civilization one of the main ways in which people exert a kind of charismatic power over other people. I don't think that's useful either. So thinking through collapse slowly, without either dismissing it or without asserting it's absolutely going to be the case, I think gives us an opportunity to think and feel differently. I'm going to say a lot about that over the next you know, few episodes of the podcast, but I think for the time being I'm going to just sketch out where collapseology, as in the study of collapse, fits within a bunch of other different fields. So there's a very related field. Um, one of the most famous perhaps is then called existential risk research, which looks at catastrophic risks by and large, which are risks that are at the level of the whole civilization, so not just individual risks, but the level of the whole civilization, which could effectively terminate intelligent life on the planet wholesale. So we're talking about super volcanoes, we're talking about sudden massive asteroid impacts, we're talking about you know, unbelievably large solar flares, we're talking about um, earthquakes so large they rip the earth into and so on. Right? In some ways these are the things of sci-fi, um, but that's not to say they're not real, it's just to say that they are at quite a remote edge of risk assessment. 
And there are other ones that are also discussed in this field, AI, the development of a, a superintelligence that could you know, come to dominate and ultimately exterminate humanity, and so on. So th these are all valid areas of research, and I think you know, supportive to some extent of that discourse. But that's not quite what we're going to be doing, by and large. It's an important source of resources. It's an important sort of conceptual resources for what we're going to be thinking about. But mostly I'm focused on not, say, for example, AI, but the politics around AI that might contribute to its transformation or to its uh, development in a, in, a, in, in a way that is ultimately detrimental. I'm interested in really existing climate change, not sudden supervolcanoes. I'm interested in the development of uh, forms and systems of violence rather than some fictional ultra-totalitarian state that ends up terminating humanity. And so in some sense, like, in some sense what we're going to be doing is quite a lot less dramatic than existential risk research, but I hope that it, it, it cleaves closer to the texture of everyday life, the texture of politics as it changes around us. There's another difference between what this podcast is about and existential risk research, which is namely that existential risk research generally, although not exclusively, seems quite comfortable with how things are at the moment. It's broadly concerned with how to safeguard and take into the future a pretty standard set of institutions, the state, governments, capital, and so on. I'm not that interested in that. And that really transforms things. Because if we have a notion of collapse that is doomerish, that is laden with the possibility of its own, the destruction of all of social life, or much of social life, or many of the social institutions that we rely on, that we exist through, if we think that's a possibility, and we also think that there's not much worth mourning in these institutions, then we end up in a very different space from someone who is anxiously trying to safeguard the existence of the current world. So I think collapse should concern you, regardless of whether or not you take radical positions. There's no need listening to this podcast to have radical politics. If you do take radical political positions, then you shouldn't be sanguine about the end of the world, so regardless of how much you hate the existing order. Um, nor should you understand it as an as a opportunity, I think, for your particular group to put forward their ideas. Um, in situations of genuine collapse, almost no one gets to assert their will. And if you don't take radical political positions, then you definitely shouldn't want to collapse. You should definitely be interested in the topic because everything that your life consists in will fall apart. More kind of pretentiously, I would say that collapse as a possibility leaves us in some sense without a clear path for politics as a whole. Most political ideas, I'm going to claim, perhaps too hastily, most political ideas are built around the possibility of producing a future utopia, which the politics gives some sort of program for the movement towards. Could be quite a mundane utopia, could be a combination of you know, public institutions plus free market capitalism plus, you know, what have you. Or it could be extremely precise and quite well elaborated. Or it could be quite vague. Or it could be even be eschatological in some sense. That is concerned with the, the end times in a religious sense. And I think collapse undermines all of these. 
So collapse, as an idea, undermines the notion that we all reach some sort of utopian future state. And therefore, it undermines what the politics was always supposed to be about. Or what politics was always kind of secretly about. I think of it in terms of something like a hammock analogy. Uh, there's one half, one, one, one end of the hammock is tied to the present. And then it's kind of draped into the future. And the other end of the hammock is tied to a particular utopia that you want to realize. And as that utopia degrades or becomes unclear, that end of the hammock kind of falls away. And the future becomes much less clear. The future becomes much more difficult to deal with. So asserting that collapse, the world is going to end, is what I'm going to call, for short, collapse thinking. It's quite an interesting symptom of a particular kind of situation. So if you think about stress in your life, you ever had stress in your life, which I'm sure you have, it's probably manifested in some sense around the body somewhere quite indirectly. So when I, I'm stressed, for example, uh, I get tingling hands, which is not where the tension is, right? The, the tension is not in my hands. I'm not stressed in my hands. I'm stressed in my head. But the symptoms appear in a totally different place from where the tension is. It rows around the body. And I think collapse thinking is probably a symptom like that of something else. And so I'm interested in getting back to that original thing, getting back to the original problem that collapse thinking is a kind of manifestation of without assuming that collapse or thinking that the end of the world is going to happen is really the original idea here. Even though I am opened with a discussion of class and the different positions of people within collapse, I think it's important to stress that in some sense everyone is in the same boat on quite like an abstract or like an existential level. I think everyone to some extent has built their systems of meaning around the current set of institutions. However, it's absolutely essential to keep in mind that we are not in the same boat, practically speaking, of course. Neither in terms of our involvement in causing the collapse, nor in terms of the effect it'll have on our lives. And so, although politics, as I was saying before, becomes a bit less clear in quite like an abstract way, I think in the short term it's very likely to become sharper, more conflict-driven, and more extreme. What that means is that we need to be able to navigate those extremities. We need to be able to understand how that extremity is playing out and how different forces within it are trying to manipulate or utilize the idea of collapse in order to get what they want. Facing collapse is in some sense actually quite like a, a gift. It allows you to take on into your life a bunch of really serious existential questions. What is life? Why are we here? What does it mean? And so on. That allows you to take those questions absolutely seriously because in some sense you can't defer them into the future. You can't say, oh, I don't really get it, but maybe someone in 100 years' time will work it all out. And my life, because of that, will be redeemed. It will make sense. If that's not a possibility, then we need to be attending to the here and the now. It also, I think, is a kind of gift 
because it allows us to throw off all of the kind of inhibitions about taking politics seriously that have attended us, that have blunted our capacity to feel, to think, for, it seems to me, several decades. Collapse does seem to offer something like an, an outside view. The outside view, or the, the overview effect, as it's called, I think originates in the images that people who've gone up into space, astronauts, see of the Earth. They look down on the Earth and they see this Earth suddenly kind of all as a, a great kind of oneness. And collapse seems to, I think, on the surface, allow something like that overview effect for us. We kind of cast our eye back over you know, centuries of human progress and we can see it all at once tending towards something not so good. Or we can see it, you know, tending towards something inevitable. Or we can see it tending towards something kind of just and beautiful, depending on how you conceive of collapse. So that's one aspect of it, how it might. But on the other side, I think it probably doesn't produce that effect in the way you'd want it to. Because collapse necessarily entails quite a lot of transformation in everyday life, and indeed the uptick in the amount of risk we face on a day-to-day -day level. Even though it allows this kind of abstract overview effect to take place, it also increases the amount of immediacy or fixation or particularity we have to kind of focus on in our everyday life. We become consumed, possibly, by the kind of the short-term dangers rather than looking at the whole. I know, for example, for myself, this is definitely the case for in the early stages of the COVID pandemic, which is, as we'll get onto, of course, many times, one of the most pronounced symptoms of an ongoing collapse that we might identify. I mentioned that for some people, collapse might be a beautiful idea. For some people who think about collapse a lot, it doesn't matter if we die because we are already fallen. We are sinners, or we've transgressed in some sort of fundamental way against nature. I don't think that, but I think it's an idea worth exploring. Specifically, I think people might think of it as a beautiful idea because they are using the idea of collapse as a way of suspending all the other kinds of demands that are placed upon them. You know, it's much easier to tell yourself a story about yourself it's much easier to it's much easier to feel that the sadness of your life is justified or redeemed if it can be put into a gigantic story about the inevitability of it failing and in some sense that's the comfort of collapse that's the thing that allows us to wish for the end of the world But this is all getting pretty abstract. I'm going to pull back and think about and just describe for you what I'm pl planning for this podcast. So there are lots of very concrete things in Collapse. There's the tension between different nation states as problems become exacerbated, as supply chains seize up, as energy systems go through uneven transitions. 
communication systems become more complicated, overwrought, and more likely more prone to fail. As climate change damages food systems, all of these things are concrete things that will happen very likely in the next few decades. There are lots of different theories, of course, about how collapse actually happens, uh, both historically and now, and we will get as many of the theorists as we can on to discuss those theories. I'm interested in casting my net pretty widely. I'm interested in historians of collapse, theorists of the end times, the activists who are trying to hold off collapse or just build up local resilience, climate scientists, historians, philosophers, investigators of structural risk, geoengineering proponents and opponents, kelp farmers, permaculturalists, soothsayers, bewailers of the end times, theorists of nihilist communism, doomers, translators of Jacques Amat, geopolitical strategists, theorists of social complexity, theorists of early life, philosophers, agriculturists, blah, blah, blah. If that sounds like the kind of mix you'd like to get yourself into, then hit subscribe and have a listen.